The following podcast is brought to you by XRE Art. XRE Art frames disassembled phones, handheld gaming consoles, and other electronics create cool discussion pieces for enthusiasts. Go to the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to support the channel and save 10% off on your purchase. And it is also brought to you by CDKOffer.com. Use offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off Windows codes and die shrink for 3% off everything on the website. All right, let's get to the show. Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, 600 Watt Tom, and I am joined today, as I am every news episode, by my co-host, uh, 1050 Watt and Power Supply Dan. All right, that works, I suppose. Of course, referencing the absurd levels of power consumption we are about to see out of NVIDIA later this year, now 100% confirmed, but we'll talk about that later. How's it going, Dan? Uh, pretty good, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, what's you're up in Massachusetts. It's been like it's been a, it's just been gorgeous, honey. I tell you, gorgeous down here in Nashville. It's been like I don't know, 70 to 85 for a week straight. We are firmly in spring summer territory here. Um lots of hiking with the doggo. Pretty nice here. Got not getting uh snow anymore. Although wasn't a particularly snowy winter this last winter at least. Well, what is it? What temperature is it there? Uh, it's like 60s right now. Yeah. It's funny. Our parents, you know, who live in Minnesota, uh, came down and visited me in Nashville for Easter. And we walked the dogs like a hundred times over like three days, <laughs> like around the block at various parks. And I was like, is that okay if we walk the dogs again? And our mom said to me, yeah, it's totally fine. It's like 30 degrees in Minnesota and it's 75 and sunny here. We are happy to go outside the entire time we're here before we go back to Minnesota. <laughs> that is the uh, disadvantage of moving to Minnesota. <laughs> but at least the summers are just as hot and more humid. And, and more mosquitoes. And more mosquitoes, just, oh, just an insane amount. I mean, because me and Dan, of course, if our parents are, we're from Minnesota, too. Just an insane amount of mosquitoes. Like, every time we visit family around 4th of July, it's ridiculous. I've got to say, I don't know what it was. When I moved to Massachusetts, the mosquitoes, seemingly specifically in Worcester, love me. Because, they love you. Nom, 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 nom. Yeah, I've got, got just feet lined with mosquito bites uh, from my time in Worcester, which was pretty cool. I, I remember when we lived in Illinois, mosquitoes specifically loving our mom. Mm -hmm. So maybe there is just there, depending on where you are in the U.S., perceive, uh, presumably the world, different variants of mosquitoes, like different blood types or something. Yeah, or yeah, or maybe I just lived in a in a Worcester for two really bad mosquito summers. But right, that's certainly also possible. There's no way to know. Well, on that note of. Vaguely talking about animals, I guess. Let me move on to the <laughs> opening reader mail here. Carbon Cry writes in, and he says, I've got a crucial question for Dan, Boston's preeminent fish expert. What I would say there are definitely more qualified fish experts in Boston, but go on. But none of them that have a gaming hardware podcast, we assume. Honestly, numbers game probably one person. 
Probably one, but do the chances of them being as successful as Broken Silk on where even that, recently we've gotten the top 50 tech podcasts. That, that's pretty low. I'll, I'll, I'll agree on that. But there are a million podcasts. There's a never ending, just multi dimensional splitting of podcasts going on right now <laughs> that never reached 10 episodes and no one's ever heard of. But Carbon Cry's question is what the hell is that thing? And he sent us a link. It'll be in the description for those listening. And I've got to say, Carbon Cry, I don't think you needed to consult Dan. The second I saw that fish, I was like, I've seen that fish before. Dan, yeah. w- what is the fish, Dan? It is, it's an ocean sunfish. And they're the goofiest looking fish in the animal kingdom. They've got really dorky, like, shall we say, naive and kind of idiotic seeming eyes. And they're always just like looking around, like moving slowly, like, hey, guys. They tend yeah. to be pretty docile towards everything. Like and humans uh, and even things that eat them. And if you were to imagine what they look like, everybody, I mean, it's a meat oval with a fin on the top and the bottom and just like parrotfish eyes and kind of a parrotfish face. Yeah. Imagine if you just like deleted everything after the dorsal fin on a fish and you've got a, a an ocean sunfish and, and it's it, also very thin. And it just goes around just like, hey. And just like shifting its eyes. Hey. It gets eaten by sea lions. Gets eaten by sea lions. And it's like, guess I'm going to get eaten now. Yeah. But there's like less terror. Like in videos I've seen, like with the predators, like most fish are like, ah, oh, I got to get out of here. This fish is just like, hey, oh, you're eating me. Okay. And then we also need to remember that add in the fact that they are like over a thousand pounds. They are very, very big guys. Yeah. So if you were a predator, jackpot. Yes. All right. As this is, of course, as you can tell, a gaming hardware podcast, let us move into corrections and omissions of gaming hardware, things that we've said recently. QH Freddy writes in, and he says, something to keep in mind with the die sizes of Navi 33, considering that it's still on an N6 node. So this is the fourth round on a 7 nanometer class node. NVIDIA has a history of pushing large die sizes. They went from, you know, they went all the way up to 545 millimeter squared for TU-104. And this idea of uh, Navi 33 being big when it's a fourth class nose isn't really hold up. I mean, the, what is it? The, what would that be? The, the 2080, only their second generation for the 14 and 16 nanometer class node. Third, I guess, if you included Volta. Like the, yeah, TU-104 was bigger than... So the 2080's die was bigger than the 1080 Ti is pointing out. And the mm-hmm. 30, the 2060 and 2070, well, really 2070's die was actually pretty close to the die size of the 1080 Ti. You know, he says, I would argue that the die sizes for monolithic parts aren't even getting substantially bigger. What we are seeing is just the inflation due to companies deciding to stick products on older nodes. Which yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Which and... I think that's what we've kind of been pointing out. Like I pointed out, I mean, just look at Navi 23 versus previous low-end cards. It's the yeah. size of the 5700 XT. <laughs> yeah, and I guess my thought on that was the 5700 XT was also kind of more of a mid-range node, mid-range card. But, you know, it's still big. <laughs> their low mid-range node is still bigger than their high-end. I mean, not node die is bigger than their high-end die from the previous generation or highest-end die from the previous generation. Yeah. So 
I, I don't know that this is I, I put this into corrections and omissions. He actually put it in a different reader mail channel. But I thought this should go here because I guess maybe what he's correcting is me saying I just don't think they'd make a low end card above, you know, four fifty millimeters squared, like a lot of people assume. And my sources seem to indicate that it's probably smaller than that and almost certainly smaller than four hundred millimeters squared. Is that don't be surprised because T U one oh six was the size of G P one oh two. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> Nonetheless, though, it's not like we're talking about Navi 32. We're talking about yeah. Navi 33. So from my perspective, this would be like, yeah. I mean, I, I guess this actually is almost perfectly it's analogous. It's pretty comparable. To yeah. TU-106 <laughs> versus GP-102. I still think, considering the product stack, they'd want to keep this below 400 millimeter squared if it's going to be cheaper than the 6700 xt which mm -hmm. at the very least whether it ends up actually being sold for less than the 6700 xt the six the uh navi 33 card i would assume they at least want it to make more money i don't know um digital dodo writes in he says after listening to the latest broken Silicon 148 so i guess that's two ago now from this one so i thought you could be going into the wrong direction with the quick loading of assets on pc the big advantage the PS5 has is that it has unified memory, so you can access the required data from the CPU, GPU, and I.O. processors without needing to copy it from system video memory. The PC's answer to this advantage is direct storage API, but in order to use this with compressed textures, the decompression has to be done on the GPU and not on the CPU. Therefore, a stronger CPU shouldn't be required for faster loading like you and Dan seem to suggest quite often. Also, any fixed function hardware for decompression would have to be on the GPU, not on the CPU. NVIDIA said they would be able to decompress assets with the tensor cores, but I don't know about AMD in this regard. So I think there's, we need to be very clear about what me and you have been saying about PC gaming getting PS5-like load times. And that's that I have said that I think like things like RTX IO, which is really just NVIDIA's version of direct storage, will be able to bring you PS5 load times. The reason, though, without a CPU being involved as much, but the reason I think we, will, we might need stronger CPUs or some kind of asset streaming accelerator on the CPU SoC is that... Load times are just one use, one thing the PS5 can do. The PS5 can also move in assets on the fly without bogging down the GPU. So if you say tensor cores are used to load like a PS5, great, that works for loading. But your GPU is going to be at high usage. So when you're using the tensor cores for ray tracing denoising, that's going to cut into performance if you try to do asset streaming at the same time. This is an issue the PS5 doesn't have. Yeah, and I guess with the non-unified pools on PCs, though, there's still probably going to need to be an ex extra added step even with better CPU, more CPU cores, for example, because then it needs to get loaded onto the GPU somehow. I guess maybe what we'll see is an IP block on GPUs for asset yeah. streaming. Maybe. I, I think fundamentally, the thing with the PS5, with its I.O. controllers, and you know, how it's built to, with a really fast SSD, people keep getting hung up on load times. That is the most rudimentary usage of what the PS5 can do with those cap those parts. It's really meant long-term to be able to cut down on the rendering required and move in assets faster and do new types of gameplay. That's actually 
what it's supposed to do. Load times is like the least creative thing you can do with that hardware. And RTX IO, if they were to try to, would cut into GPU usage. So I don't mm. think that it's just going to be solved by RTX IO if they ever tried to port, you know, like Rash and Clank to PC or something. No, I don't. Probably not. <laughs> no, I think they could probably make... It's early enough that I wonder if Ratchet and Clank they could make work. Or was it Rift Apart? I haven't played it, but yeah, it's Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart on PC. They could probably make it work just by using a bunch of RAM. But later games, I've heard, I don't know. You know, it's going to take something, either a ton more RAM or <laughs> something else besides RTX IO. All right. That is the corrections. Kerry Nosugata writes in, though, and he says, with the release of the 5800 X3D... Have your thoughts on it changed at all from the previous news episode? Are you more or less interested in Zen 4 3D than you were before? Well, let's talk about it in story number one. R7 5800 X3D officially reviewed. Here's the write-up. On April 20th and arguably the entire week before that date on some websites, the R7 5800 X3D finally received its first official reviews. In short, Alder Lake has a commanding lead in multi-threading performance with the i7-12700K and even i5-12600K winning in some non-gaming multi-threading apps versus the 5800X3D. In fact, the 5800X3D actually loses to the 5800X in some productivity apps due to its lower clock speeds. In gaming, it's a bit of a mitz bag compared to Alder Lake. In some games, Alder Lake wins. Sometimes the 5800X3D wins. But overall, it's certainly safe to say that now the crown is disputed and the 5800X3D is certainly the best AMD gaming processor on the market. So overall, whether you want the 5800X3D or some Alder Lake SKU, it comes down to what platform you own and the price you can get them for at least in yours truly's opinion. The 5800X3D seems to be holding firm at its 450 MSRP, though, or even higher on Newegg right now as of this recording, and you're going to have to balance that against the higher motherboard costs and maybe RAM costs for Alder Lake. So that is the write-up. You separately, without talking to me, looked up reviews and came to your own conclusion. What do you think about the 5800X3D? I mean, it's an overall cheaper product with... A cheaper platform attached to it than the 12900k or 12900ks although even going down all the way to like i5 12600k you're i think you're getting comparable gaming performance for most uses so the 5800 x3d is arguably the best gaming cpu on the market now for what 350 dollars cheaper than its competitor well, the, the, what they're calling its competitor, I should mm -hmm. say. <laughs> so I think if you're interested specifically in gaming, this is a compelling option, um, especially if you already have AM4. It's not the as good as even it, the 5800X in productivity and multi-threading in a lot of cases, but it's probably good enough for most use cases where I think you would be fine with the X3D. And if you really want to just emphasize gaming performance, the 5800X3D is probably a lot of people's best option. But, you know, I don't think this is like some new groundbreaking product. It's it, 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 like you put in the write-up, it's a mixed bag of good and bad. Right. Versus Alder Lake. I, I think it, I find it interesting because if I go to Tech Power Up, uh, they just have the 5800X3D losing to a few Alder Lake SKUs, even in gaming. Uh, mm -hmm. And I found that at another website. Now, if I go to Gamers Nexus... If 5800X3D wins, if I go to tech spot slash hardware box, it's a tie with the 12900K. 
and I think it needs to be pointed out when we're talking about wins and loses. I think the reviews I looked at were talking about like less than percentage difference points depending on the re- uh, the resolution. Like, I think at 4K, it's like 0.2. The KS is like 0.2 percent better, uh, for, according to the TechSpot review, if I'm remembering correctly. So it's a wash, I, I would say, for gaming performance. But it's three hundred fifty dollars cheaper. So if you don't need to emphasize uh productivity or multi-threading as much i think it's probably the better option although you are you're also moving to a dying you're migrating to a dead platform essentially because this is the last generation of am4 or this is the last am4 product right and that kind of springboards into a big point i want to make here about looking at which cpu you're going to buy holistically which i think for a long time, that's what we've done. We On our podcast for years, it's like, oh, do you really want to get a 9900K over a 2700X? The CPU costs twice as much, doesn't come with a cooler, the motherboards are more expensive, really you're spending two, three times as much for 20% more performance. Who is that worth it for except for the absolute pro gamers? No one. And it's always been this balance of motherboard cost, RAM cost, cooling costs, blah, blah, blah. And then you look at it all total. And I just feel like all of a sudden you don't have this holistic analysis going on with some people racing out to buy the 5800X3D. Yes, the motherboard may cost 50. And again, it's like, I don't think, please do not send me links to $80 motherboards for the 5800X3D. If you buy that, what? You're buying a $450 gaming processor for a budget board. No, no one's doing that. I mean, it's like those... I feel like those budget builds you would see in the past where it's like, yeah, get a expensive high-end gaming uh, GPU and then pair it with a Pentium or something. It's like, get don't don't mismatch your product, what you're buying so much because you're <laughs> you're losing the f- features on that the 5800X3D could lose use, and you're buying a crappier motherboard for no reason. It's it's dumb. Yeah, exactly. And if I look up X570 motherboard on Newegg right now, I always feel like there's just hyperbole involved with this stuff. X570, 190, 157, 140. What? Yeah, so it's like, let's just say you're paying 150 for an X570 motherboard. And now here come all the comments. Oh, I got mine for 80. Okay, whatever. I don't believe you. Most of the time, a good X570 motherboard is 150. Most of the time, a good Z690 is 200. So yes, let's just cut the bullshit and agree there's a $50 motherboard difference. But at the end of the day, you don't need to get the 12900K. It's kind of artificially better at gaming than the i5 that I can get for 250 right now. Yeah, and I do think think it does need to be mentioned that you really see that the 5800X3D takes the quote-unquote performance crown at 1080p. And I under I, I understand why they test CPU performance at 1080p because it because it makes the uh, C, it's CPU bound. I, I I understand, but when you look at 4K, which I think most people gaming with a 5800X3D are gaming at 1440p or 4K, it's tied with a 12600K, and a 12600K is cheaper. So I guess to go against some of what I've said, like 12600K didn't just become a stupid CPU to buy. No, 
Falto, PS5 Series X owner, writes in. He says, with a lot of reviews comparing the 5800X3D against the 12900KS, you know, one was a $450 CPU, the other is an $800 one. Is that even a fair comparison? I understand from a pure gaming standpoint, both are well matched. However, realistically, no one's going to a situation where they have to pick a CPU between these two at the price difference is like almost double. I don't think it's a situation like when the 9900K was compared to the 2700X as the i9 this time basically crushes the 5800X3D and multi-threading. So the users are getting something for the money in a way. Right, and this is what I find so interesting is I feel like I'm seeing some AMD fanboys making the arguments Intel fanboys made four years ago. And, mm -hmm. you know, like if I go, first of all, Falto, thank you for writing in, but I do have to say, right now on Newegg, the 12900KS is $750, a Micro Center at $750, $20 off a motherboard, but that also applied to the AMD one, I assume. So I, I just feel like people add $50 to Intel CPUs when they talk about it in forums. If I go to Newegg right now, the 5800X3D is selling for like 500 And so here, here again, here's my problem with oh, – oh, it's an obvious purchase if you want to go from something like – if you're someone who has a 3600X, what a massive upgrade to a 5800X3D if you already own the motherboard. But right now, a 12700K on Newegg is 385 with $45 off. So we're yeah. talking $340. And again, it's unlocked. Just clock it. You'll, be, you'll lose to the 5800X3D by like 5% and save over $100. That's more than the difference of the motherboard. And you know what? It's not on a dead platform. And it doubles productivity performance. It doubles it. It's so like looking at tech power ups review they find that the x3d is the best gaming processor at 1440p specifically and it's a tie with the 12 ks at um at 1080p but if you're even gaming at 1440p the 12700k you're losing two and a half percent performance and you're it's uh what yeah so like you said we're just saying 110 dollars cheaper now, sure, you need to factor in the added RAM cost if you want to get DDR at DDR5, but you're also getting DDR5 if you choose to do that. You can also get a DDR4 motherboard and stick to that if you want to. And then upgrade to 24-core Raptor Lake if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I don't know. I guess my opinion on the 5800X3D is it's the obvious gaming processor upgrade if you want top tier gaming performance and you already own a motherboard for it and if and i'm not saying you never can if you can get a good deal on an x570 motherboard for like 100 120 dollars no i don't really believe you got it for 70 dude in the comments if you can get it for like i'm talking high quality x570 if you can get a decent one for like 100 to 120 and you or it's and a lot of people you know ddr4 has been around for a long time if you already have some decent ddr4 lying around yeah i mean it is cheaper to just get the 5800X3D for sure, but don't compare this to answer Falto's question to the 12900K. I don't think it is. I think you compare this to the i5 because even the i5 beats the 5800X3D in productivity tasks and costs $200 less on Newegg. Yeah, and, and, and it's like 5% worse at gaming. Oh, no. Like, I think it, it's fine. You can compare them, but I think you should try to highlight all of these relationships because mm -hmm. there's subtle differences between all of them that, like, when you hear the top line thing, well, the 
5800X3D beats the 12900K or ties at 12900K, a $350 more expensive product. Yeah, that sounds striking. But then you look at, I don't know, the 12400F and it's like, oh, well, this is beating it by like 8%. And sure, that's appreciable. But (laughs) at the end of the day, like everything in i5 up, you're getting really good performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly and i don't think this severely re uh reshuffles like the situation you're in if you're thinking of buying a new cpu if you're on a very outdated platform alder lake is probably the best option still the 5800 x3d might be cheaper for some people or in some circumstances or if you already have an x570 motherboard the 5800 x3d is probably your best option to upgrade to in some circumstances right and so i think the most fair comparison it's like comparing the 9900k to the 3950x they're like basically the same gaming performance but one of them doubles productivity performance and so i just don't compare the 5800 x3 to the i9 12900k even if you're a pure gamer i'm like yeah but i mean (laughs) it's so many more threads and on a much more modern platform that can be upgraded. I I don't think you compare that. I think you could say the fair comparison is the 5800X3D is 5 to 10% better than the i5 that costs $200 less. Yeah. You know, and that's the comparison. And so it all comes down to price. If it's the same price as the i5, uh, get the 5800X3D. <laughs> if it's the same price as the i7, if you even do a little bit of non-gaming, I kind of recommend, you know, the i7 if you can get, assuming DDR5 prices continue to go down, but otherwise it's just in between, you know? Yeah, and I guess to answer the question that we went into this uh, story with, I would say Zen 4 3D, from what I see right now, I Zen- think there's a... Comp- Oh, I that's think there's right. a compelling reason. Question. Sorry. Yeah, I think there's a compelling reason to have a three uh, three D cash product in their lineup next time. But maybe there's just like I don't know a sixty eight hundred X three D, and they can't have those dueling th- uh, CPUs. Although that might be kind of confusing. Oh, you mean just like they still just kind of only use it for specific Some. gaming products? Yeah. Well, QH Freddy writes in on that note, Dan, and he says, do you think the 5800X3D might end up holding the gaming crown against Zen 4 in some titles? No. I th- yeah, I, I agree. I'm hearing crazy <laughs> impressive things about the IPC increase over Zen 3. So, no. I, well, I, and I, higher I, clocks, right? Yeah, and I think people keep forgetting about the clock speed advantage. The, the like 5800X3D's clock's lower. Like, I think Zen 4 is going to be 5 gigahertz all-core minimum. <laughs> like if there's no IPC increase and we just get a, a 10% a, a, a 10% higher clock speeds and that's all Zen 4 is. It, it'd probably I think be, it's better. If it was 5 gigahertz, it'd be <laughs> 20% if you consider all core. Yeah, I know. Like I, I, I think even if, the, yeah, like if there's no IPC advan- gain, it's Zen 4 is still probably going to be higher performance than uh, the 5800X3D. Yeah, and then add 20 to 40% higher IPC. No, I think... I think Zen 4 is going to be a gaming monster, and the, the, the this one gaming V-cache model is a stopgap, but that is an interesting point you bring up, Dan, that it's quite conceivable that what they do is have a 6800, or maybe they'll skip it because of Rembrandt, a 
7800 X3D just yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah that'll probably bury Raptor like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean and then the other question which I think is you would probably just not have a 6800X because that would be a nightmare for advertising. Or... Yeah, that's an interesting question, right? Like now that they have Vcash working from the start of this Zen 4 generation, do they even make a Yeah, I don't I agree. Like I would if I was at AMD, I would advocate, hey, don't make a 7800X and X3D. Make a 7700X eight core and the 7800X3D, mm-hmm. and then a 7900X, 7950X, and then maybe a 7950X3D. It would make some sense to have twi- double for both of those. But honestly, I would almost recommend just just make the 12 core not have it or something, and the 16 core have it. And again, there'd be some people that go, no, why don't they do 12 cores? It's perfect for gaming. It's because why would they waste not perfect yields and put Vcash on it, guys? Like, I got <laughs> yeah, news true. for you. They are not going to need to disable more than like 20% down to six cores. So they, they'd be better off to just use their best yields with Vcash and make it like a Halo product. Mm-hmm. I think so, at least. Kerry Nosugata writes in, and he says, considering the positive reaction to the 5800 X3D so far from gamers, which just to interject, Kerry... Yeah, I, they can't keep it in stock. I've talked to distributors. So whether or not we think it's more nuanced, the community has decided just buy this. But he says, a company that wanted to gain market share in the gaming laptop space should really be thinking about adding more cash to laptop processors. It could be even more effective than Vcash on desktop, as the worse the main memory performance, the better more cash will be. And also, yeah, you could clock it lower and then save on energy. Mm-hmm. And um, I agree. You know, I, I think it would be really, really cool if they started putting Vcash on gaming models of laptops. Um, uh, the only thing I, yeah, I, the only thing I don't know about the heat issues is it needs to be pointed out that the chiplets used for the 5800X3D are literally the same chiplets for 5800X. Then what they do is they lap the die down just enough so it doesn't damage anything and then add an ultra thin layer of vcash so it's the exact same z height as a 5800x i don't know how much of the heating issues is because the vcash is blocking it and if that'd be an issue on laptop i don't think it's just being clocked lower like i wonder if it would still be an issue even if they could just clock it lower probably less than on desktop relatively yeah but if it's clocked lower it's going to produce less heat but but there's also more removal of heat is a lot more is a lot more constrained on laptops exactly so i don't i still would imagine there's some kind of like um crossover point where it's actually not much of an issue on laptop but i don't know where that is yeah this piece of content is brought to you by XRE Art. XRE Art frames disassembled phones, handheld consoles, and other electronics to create incredibly cool discussion pieces for enthusiasts. These pieces include iPhones, PSPs, Game Boys, Apple Watches, old Nokias, and more. XRE Art also sells the tools, frames, and templates for you to do it yourself and donates half a percent of each purchase to NGOs for environmental protection projects, which, yeah, they aren't throwing these devices in landfills, guys. They're actually using them in a sustainable way and looking at a piece of xre art in person it's really cool and you can support moore's law is dead by clicking on the link in the description and using the offer code broken silicon to save 10 percent off on your order support this cool company and support moore's law is dead by buying xre art today all right let me move on to story number two 
We need to talk about Sapphire Rapids, ARC, and Intel's other execution problems. I guess I'd throw Ponte Vecchio in there. So I threw this story together because I have some insider information. I just want to add to it. Here's the write-up. Recently, benchmarks emerged that suggested Intel's Sapphire Rapids CPUs may lose badly to Milan X. AMD's server product that is based on two-year-old technology with simply having vCache, in quotes, glued on top of it. I can't confirm the exact Sapphire Rapids benchmarks that were reported by WCCF Tech, but I am told internally from people at Intel that they just expect Milan X to beat Sapphire Rapids, probably even the 60-core model at almost everything. Additionally, ARC is taking too long. At this point, Moore's Law said is getting reports that ARBs are growing increasingly frustrated with Intel's graphics team and that it's hard to expect anything but a quarter three launch for the top desktop models. However, I will say I am told that there could be a temporary glut of GPUs late summer, so maybe Intel could target that for like one month. They fill in the TAM during a month when no one else is servicing it before Lovelace, hopefully. Um, but otherwise, that's the best case scenario. And I got to say, just in general, it feels like Intel can't launch anything besides consumer desktop on time. And on that note, I'll probably leak it within a couple of weeks. I have more info on Meteor Lake and Raptor Lake. Those things seem ahead of schedule, and Alder Lake launched on time. So consumer seems to be fine, but everything else just seems to be a shit show. I, I just want to talk about this openly, Dan. We've been talking about this offline. I mean, it just – I don't know what's going on at Intel with some of these products. And I, I think we've discussed it on podcasts in the past where – well, we <laughs> there we had criticized their – arc unveiling a lot because or their arc third third unveiling i don't know how many times they've unveiled it <laughs> how many times point. can you unveil the same product without really confirming everything yeah it, it seems like alder lake was this hopeful sign that we might see like a resurgent intel and i think we are in desktop compared specifically to. well we are yeah. compared to before i guess but yeah we are but it just seems to be desktop specifically and Nothing else is really getting that same type of positive, uh, I, I, that positive advancement. Arc is, at this point, going to probably come out like six months later than when it would have been impressive had it came out. Yeah, if it came out at the end of last year to desktop, that would have been perfect timing and amazing. And, and yeah, like as far as server goes, I'm not like a big server person, so I can't speak that much, much to the specifics of this. But looking at the benchmarks, this looks bad like they are losing in some things to their own older products and they're just flat out losing against um like you said a two-year-old technology from amd and that's certainly not good yeah i mean i was on a consulting call last week and i was asked from like what i think about sapphire rapids and i'm like i mean what do you want me to say it's going to be like 50 percent or more better than you know ice lake server but it looks way more expensive to make the Milan X. <laughs> and yeah, if it loses I, to it, I I don't... It should have come out next to Milan X or before it. And that's when we were told it would. But I, it is getting to the point where I'm like, where is Sapphire Rapids, guys? Well, yeah. And, and this is the thing with servers where they have these longer contracts where they don't want to replace their ser a company doesn't want to replace its servers every other year obviously uh because that would be a lot of money but this is just another year where okay our 10 years are up we're moving to new systems i guess we're going with amd mm -hmm. and when 
they had pre- bought previous servers are they would have obviously been Intel because that was basically the only game in town <laughs> compared to AMD. I mean, yeah, Sapphire Rapids is taking so long to come out that I'm sitting here and thinking about Emerald Rapids, which I believe is at least last I saw roadmaps. I really haven't checked recently in the past few months, but like supposed to be 64 cores, probably Raptor Cove. And so it's like, yeah, so what? 56, now 60 core Sapphire Rapids with Golden Cove moving to 64 core Raptor. I mean, yeah, you're going to get 20, 30% better if the clocks are higher or something. But like that was supposed to come out like mid, late next year. Uh, Sapphire Rapid isn't out yet. It's like, what's the point? And then I hear about Redwood Cove going well. It's like, I almost wonder if they'll just skip Emerald and bring out Granite Rapids for those keeping um, track of all of these code names. Because <laughs> all these are going to get just destroyed by AMD if they take too long. Well, yeah, it's like you have all of these architectures, like feels like they're just being developed and they're slowly being smushed into each other because it's taking them so long to get anything out. You know what I mean? And I want to be very clear about this. We have, you know, Genoa coming out late this year, then Bergamo early next year, and then presumably probably early 2024, if not ended 2023, we have Turin, Zen 5. And I'm not going to say what the numbers are yet, but I have gotten some updates, and it actually seems like a bigger uplift than initially reported by some people on Twitter. <laughs> like, we're looking at, like, you know, Milan to Rome type of stuff here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you see that, I'm just like, and so, yeah, I don't know. What if Granted Rapids has, from what I hear, somewhere around 80 to 120 cores of Redwood Cove? Who, who gives, who cares? There's When you have Turn coming out with hundreds of cores. Yeah, I mean... That's kind of the thing. It's like, well, AMD can still <laughs> deliver way more cores. <laughs> that, that graph has never stopped being true. Of the that meme has never stopped being true. I mean, yeah, and I so I don't know what how really to even conclude this quote unquote story. You know, as part of this broken silicon, like Bonavecchio would have been impressive if it launched at the end of last year. Sapphire Rapids would have been impressive if it launched at the end of last year. They both seem to be launching actually next to Hopper and Genoa, so who cares? <laughs> and yeah. it's only going to get worse in that regard. And I hear good things about Battle Mage. There's a lot of confidence in Battle Mage. But I don't know. Alchemist still really isn't out. And it's just, it's insane. And I don't know. It, some of Intel's partners are getting fed up about this, is what I will say. You know, well, and yeah, maybe Battle Mage will be really impressive, but at this point, Battle Mage needs to come out six months after Arc does. Yeah, or six months after Arc actually comes out, not six months after you can pay. Who is well, it? it's Acer? supposed to come out the end of last year, next year, next year. Okay, Battle well, Mage should come out end of twenty twenty three. Okay, I mean. I guess we'll see how that lines up with the competition where like where AMD and Nvidia are in their cycles. Yeah. Well, and I, and I don't know really what else to say about this. I just wanted to acknowledge that I can conf- I can't confirm exact benchmarks leaked from what is it Beely Beely or whatever uh shared by what is this Yukions on Twitter and reported by W. I can't but I can say that I've been directly told they're just not optimistic about Sapphire Rapids competitiveness anymore. Uh and all these execution issues to me make Besides Intel on desktop and laptop, I just go, I don't bet on anything besides their desktop mm-hmm. and laptop CPUs at this point. All right. Let us move on to some things we can bet on being excited about. Horrible transition. 
Uh, let us move on to story number three. Falling GPU prices. What should you buy now or should you just wait? I just have a, a write-up here kind of putting together some links that we found online and some things I've been talking about near the ends of my recent videos. Let's take a second to discuss what's going on in the PC gaming do-it-yourself GPU market. Right now, the RX 6700 XT is quickly approaching $500 on Newegg. The 6600 XT is quickly approaching $400, and the 6600 is quickly approaching its MSRP. The RTX 3050 a is even $300 in stock on EVGA's website right now, and it's been in stock, as far as I can tell, for over a week. So... And it also seems obvious that the 6500 XT is destined to get under $200 within a month. Yet, I am told that the 3070, 3060 Ti, and 3060, while they are getting cheaper, I'm sorry, I'm not told I can see it, all seem to consistently be staying 20 to 50% above MSRP. And so, I don't know. AMD is coming down faster, but in general, all prices are coming down and I can tell you guys that I have dozens of pictures of storerooms at micro centers, Best Buys, and other shops globally outside of the U.S. Full of graphics cards with, with these stores being scared to lower prices below what they paid to stock them. In fact, I am also specifically told that no one is buying the 3070 Ti, 3080 12 gigabyte, or 3080 Ti at a lot of stores anymore. These are the cards no one ever asked for, and it's conceivable they could drop in price quicker than the other cards in the Ampere lineup. So I don't know, Dan, I don't know what do you have to say about all these dropping prices, like both in terms of what people should be watching, what people should consider buying right now, and if people should not buy anything? Um, I would say right now you, what, you should not buy anything if you absolutely don't have to. Like, I think a it seems like a month from now, virtually everything is going to be cheaper than what it is right now. So with that in mind, like, no, I wouldn't recommend spending $210 on a 6500 XT if you need a graphics card. With the thought in mind that, I don't know, if it got, falls to like 180 in a month. Are you going to like? Are are you going to be crying over those thirty dollars? Probably not. But <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I don't think you should buy anything right now, though. Yeah, and I think it's fascinating to hear that the thirty eighty twelve gigabyte may end up on average just being like ten percent more than the thirty eighty ten gigabyte soon, and the thirty seventy Ti could be. It's like, yeah, it's already about 10% more than the 3070. The 3080 Ti, just no one wants the 3080 Ti in general. It's funny to watch this happen. Like, they were selling when that was all you could buy. But I told directly, like, people are coming into stores and saying, yeah, I don't want those stupid cards. That I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like, at a certain point, the you have to think that the market will dictate these prices, though, or how you would traditionally consider how a market moves would dictate these prices. And they have to sell them at a loss for what they purchase them for. And hopefully that can be used by like micro centers or Best Buys as a loss leader to like come and get a 3080 Ti and build an entire new system or something like that. And maybe they'll end up making money overall on the new system. Probably. But yeah. Yeah. The idea of losing like a hundred dollars on one of these graphics cards isn't great for a micro center. I'm sure. Yeah, and if someone had their card break, which our friend Drew just had his card break, and he got a, the 6500 XT that I got for MSRP on launch day, I think we need to talk about why—oh, God, how do I put this? Because I want to be very careful here. 
why you might spend less than you maybe should for slightly worse price performance right now. And that and, and it's because if you truly are, I just want to make this point to everybody. I'm not saying I'm married to it, but I want to throw an idea out there. Don't kill me, you know. If you truly are just waiting for the next generation, which by all accounts is launching quarter three with decent availability, probably quarter four, then if you really are waiting, I don't know if you have a $300 card that might lose $100 value in a year. If you buy a $200 card, I don't think it's, I don't know. You know, a lot of these, and if you buy a $1,000 card, you might lose $500 value. (laughs) The lower you go down in the stack, the more there is just a floor on eBay and what you will sell things for. So I just think it's worth pointing out that, you know, and this really points to specific cards like 1650, 6500 XT, 3050, 6600, which are the budget kings right now, arguably, why you might go lower and lower. You know what I mean? Yeah, because... as far as a car, a low, lower end card that you want to keep mid ter- uh, uh, medium to long term right now, I think if you can muster the extra money, I would recommend the sixty six hundred. But it, it's difficult to say. Like as prices sit right now, I don't think there's a co- well. Actually, with the exception of that EVGA uh, thirty fifty for three hundred bucks. That that might be compelling over the thirty uh, over the sixty six hundred. Unless it goes down to like three twenty, then it's like yeah, pay twenty dollars for the sixty six hundred. But if it's like over three fifty, I go hmm. As it stands, like when I'm looking at Newegg, they're selling for about the same price right now. So that's weird. Sixty six hundred is obviously the best option at that price point. But I don't know, like. If, if you're just looking to keep a car because you need it for, what, four months or something? Yeah. Yeah, maybe getting a 1650 Super if you Those can get it Those don't really for... exist, Dan. Yeah. I'm maybe sorry. If you can we got to stop bringing that. People need to stop bringing that fucking card up. Maybe it's if you only can get exists a six... on eBay. <laughs> maybe if you get a 1650. Well, yeah, but it, maybe you can get a 1650, a 6500 XT, or hell, this is out now, the 6400 and just keep that for a few months and then sell it hopefully for what $150 uh, when you get a new graphics card. I mean, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. I think these are all going to sell for that much. And I'm just throw out the 1650 super. Yeah, sure. If you can find one for 150, I guess get that. But you know, in my testing, you know, an, <laughs> I actually looked this up. The 1650 with GDR six, I tested with, 80% more bandwidth than a standard 1650. I found its bandwidth was within 20% of my laptop 2060 overclocked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it still lost the 6500 XT by pretty huge margins in a lot of scenarios. So I, I don't know. I think at the end of the day, if a 3050 is 300, you should be willing to pay 10, 20% more for a 6600. But don't kill me. Don't kill me. The reason I say that is because they both have 8 gigabytes of RAM. One of them has DLSS and uh, equal ray tracing, if not better. So I don't, and DLSS matters. I'm sure I can play Metro Exodus Enhanced Edition better than I can on, on a 3050 than a 6600. And at the end of the True. day, we're selling all of these. We're selling all of these in four months. And that's where you bring up the 6500 and it's XT, and it's like, it can run games certainly if it gets within like even 40% of a 3050, I would get that. But if it's below 200, you buy, if you got that for 180, which I know in Europe right now, they're going for below MSRP. 
I just have to say then, okay, well, <laughs> you can probably sell that for lose $20 in four months. I just think people need to start thinking about that. Yeah. And as it stands to as well, like at least the, the cards, the loan cards that seem easy to get, or there's usually a model in stock is the 6,500 XT, the 6,600 and the 3050. And there's not much, that much else available. That's anywhere close to MSRP. I would say 3050 is still generally pretty inflated, except for that uh, one on EVGA's website, which to me says the fact that I can still buy that <laughs> right now, if I go to it, says the 3050 should probably go down $20 in value on most things, considering I can still add this to my cart right now if I want to. Right. Uh, so I think the 3050 will probably drop to and maybe even drop to MSRP within the next couple weeks for most models. The problem is, even with RAM prices going down, I think it's break-even point is like 280, 260. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that we're going to see that too easily, but I think it's a real possibility as the GA107 models probably roll out eventually. Because right now, again, like I've covered this agnosium, like just so everyone knows, like what you're seeing right now in the 3050 is a very, very limited run of cut down uh, 3060s that NVIDIA only released to make AMD look bad. They intend to launch GA107 with a much smaller die so they can hit that real MSRP eventually. Um, but it's interesting because at that price, at two, if it was actually 250 and then the 6600 was actually, I think it's MSRP is 330 I would say it's kind of a wash between the two. Like if it's actually 35% more money or something, I go, eh, it doesn't yeah. really matter. I almost recommend that. And at that price, certainly don't get the $200 6500 XT. But if the 3050 ever becomes 250 by standard, I'm pretty sure the 6500 XT is going to be less than 180 Yes, I, I agree. <laughs> so, and, it, and it's interesting because I think we might need to add the 3050 to that list of cards nobody wants. Because I have consistently been told that is not a popular seller. <laughs> at the price it's currently selling at, I just don't see a reason to get it. I guess like, the final thing I would add to this conversation here is I see I see the brewings of the same storm we had in 2020 here, where prices started plummeting early in 2020, and then everyone was like, we're going to buy these, you know, should we buy these? No, let's wait. And then there is a chance we could see the same, and I've heard r rumors that NVIDIA is going to try to create the same perfect storm that happened in 2020 again near the end of the year where everything mm -hmm. sells out and there's no availability, and then they just artificially only release cards when they can sell way above RS MSRP. So we're going to have to watch for that. But I think the one thing that NVIDIA is going to have a real hard time dealing with is a more aggressive AMD next round. Because I do think they're going to supply more RDNA 3 than they did RDNA 2. Even though, again, RDNA 2, record seller. I think they're actually going to go for market share next gen. And I think they're also going to have to contend with the used market. Whether NVIDIA likes it or not, Ampere was a huge increase over Turing. And Lovelace is going to be an even bigger one over Ampere. And there, there's going to be a flood of like $400, 3070s on eBay. So there's only so much they can mark up their cards, I feel like, near the end of this year. Yeah, I mean, you would think... Ideally, the used market should be kind of like a thermos. Should be like kind of a, a thermostat to uh, their desire to constantly increase the uh, prices of things. But right now, it's not really. <laughs> so hopefully, 
hopefully there's a flood of used cards at some point that actually makes the price of any used card actually makes sense because the used card market to me almost makes less sense than the new card market right now yeah and 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 i bring this up just because there's a lot of people going don't sell any cards it's gonna be you know whatever like before and it's like yes and no uh, you, you you always want to have some card you're using before you sell it so you don't get desperate and buy something at an inflated price. But I, I don't know, guys. I think there's a real chance we're going to see some pretty bad pricing collapses by the end of this year that isn't going to be like 2020. I, I think so. At yeah. this point, it's becoming more and more obvious. Um, but speaking of all these low-end cards, I, I'm actually going to move around with the stories I was going to put later, Dan. So story number four, RX 6400 launched, proving a $170, 75 watt RX 6500 was possible. On April 20th, AMD launched the Navi 24 based RX 6400 for $160. And it's actually keeping that price on Newegg to this day. This is the 53 watt version of the 6500 XE that has four out of its 16 compute units disabled for 12 total. And in general, it seems slightly stronger than a GTX 1650. But of course, with more modern features. And most importantly, it directly suggests AMD could have made a 75 watt version. Because again, this is just 53 watts. They could have certainly made a 75 watt version of the 6500 XT, used cheaper coolers, made it 170, and kept 80 to 90% of the performance. And I just, I bring this up because I really think they should have just launched a 6500 non XT and avoided the criticism of what happens when you overclock a low end card by 30% and try to sell it for too much. If they would have done that, uh, a- AIBs would have gone in and filled that gap anyways with by launching OC editions for like $200 anyways. Like they did with the RX 560, yeah. Well, it, like AIBs do with literally every card. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would have been better, and that's why I can almost see a reason where if you truly just need a short-term stopgap card like a 6400 might in some cases might even be better because it's $40 cheaper. And I guess it probably won't hold its value as well as the 6,500 XT, but you have to, are you go, are you going to lose $20 more on the 6,400 than the 6,500 XT after selling it used? Probably not. They're probably just going to sell for like both, like what? 120 to $150 uh, used in a couple months. Yeah. And I mean, this is 75% the performance of a 6,500 XT doesn't require any PCIe, so at least it'll be silent. And as much as I panned the 1650 and the defenders of buying that over a 6500 XT in my recent review video, I have to say that the 1650 plays games unless they have ray tracing or require some more modern features because then it literally can't play some games now. Um, but that that level of performance, as long as you accept that it is not close to a 580, <laughs> is is enough, yeah. though. It's better. It's way better than a 1050 Ti or... 560 it will run games 1080p medium most of the time and so that's why like the 6400 is like i'm not recommending it but it's half the price of a 3050 for half the performance using half the energy and it's a stopgap card so i can see a world where you buy 6400 but do not pay over msrp is the only thing i'd say just don't (laughs) please or at least don't pay 180 i I don't know extra ten dollars maybe you don't care but yeah i mean i i in particular, you really shouldn't be paying above MSRP for, like, any of these cards, I would say. Mm-hmm. But the market is where the market is. And at least the 6500 XT is within 5% of MSRP a lot of the t- on a lot of models now. So that's not 
god awful. Mm-hmm. And this is sticking to MSRP for the most part. And as to your thing with like sixteen fifty, that they're still consistently selling for two on the used market for two hundred to two hundred thirty dollars. Yeah, it's weird. They're like the same price of a sixteen fifty super used. By the way, I don't understand. Yeah, that, that, that's why I brought up the bring up the sixteen fifty super. It's like the, this is a model that's there if you're willing to buy a used card. <laughs> but it's still more than a sixty five hundred XT lacking ray tracing features. I, yeah. I don't. And in my testing, guys, I found the sixteen fifty four gigabyte ran into this a lot of the same issues at four gigabytes of VRAM usage the 6500 XT did. That is to say in Horizon Zero Dawn, for example, not loading in buildings <laughs> at high and 4K <laughs> or not being able to load the division in 4K. Just not loading it. Won't load the division 2 in 4K. And both of them, you're. it's like, are, it's like what settings are you actually going to use with a four gigabyte card? All of these four gigabyte cards, you're going to want to keep the VRAM usage at four gigabytes or lower. Uh, and interestingly, in Assassin's Creed Valhalla with PCIe 4.0, I actually got to like 4.2 gigabytes of usage. It was fine on the 6500 XT. But all of these cards, you're going to get more if you just stay at 3.5 gigabytes or lower. So mm-hmm. I don't, I, I don't know. I think the PCIe argument is a little odd because you're not going to use four gigabytes ideally, anyways. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you have yeah, a PCIe 2.0 system. Congrats, you're probably using a CPU that's at least half as strong or weaker than the consoles. Don't buy anything new, dude. Yeah, get a new system if you can, if that's what you're on. Yeah. Asenius Chalmers writes in, he says, with 24 gigabit DDR5 modules on the horizon from Samsung and Hynix and the controversy surrounding RDNA 3 VRAM capacities, presumably Navi 33 that people won't shut up about. He says, I'm brought back to a discussion I had a while back about 12 gigabit and 24 gigabit GDDR6 modules. It seems 12 gigabit modules would have fixed most of the complaints about Ampere memory amounts and simplified the lineup. 24 gigabit modules would have fixed the 6500 XT sort of and the controversy of RDNA 3 leaks seems to be bringing. The 3060 could have shipped 9 gigabytes instead of 12, 3070 12 instead of 8, 3080 15 instead of 10 if they had 12 gigabit modules instead of 8 and 16. The 6500 XT could have shipped with 6 gigabytes and RDNA 3 could ship with 12 gigabytes on Navi 33. It's too late for Ampere and the 6500 XT, but it seems to me like RDNA 3 and possibly Loveless could stand to gain from these types of configurations. Are AMD, NVIDIA, and Intel influential enough to bend Samsung, SK Hynix, and Micron to their will and produce the capacities? Are the GPU makers beholden to whether the memory makers decide to sell? Yes. It goes with GDDR6X <laughs> created by NVIDIA's influence, or is Micron going to produce... It's a joint venture. It, it, you know, Micron produced it with NVIDIA. Without NVIDIA, would GDDR6X have been launched? Probably not. But Micron pioneered the technology and then looked for someone to help them develop it. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I, 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 here's actually, I, not to just not answer the question, SSNS Chalmers, but I'm going to keep saying the same answer. Navi 33 is a low-end card. That's why it has 8 gigabytes. <laughs> yeah. Navi 33 yeah. is a low-end card. That is why it has 8 gigabytes. The RX 580 had four gigabyte models that tied the 290, the 390X. Half the RAM, same performance, low end though. That's why they're doing it. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think for the most part, the AMD lineups RAM capacity has been fine. The 6500 XT probably would have benefited a bit from six gigabytes, but I think that's my I think that's is the biggest argument. A cheaper card. <laughs> I agree. I think that's the biggest detraction you can have. Like, I think every other card is fine with the capacity they have. 
I think thirty. I think a lot of Ampere's lineup would have benefited from having slightly more capacity than they currently did. So eh, maybe there's an argument for that, but I also wondered. A, a nine gigabyte thirty sixty would have that really been that much more advantageous than twelve gigabytes? Like what? I guess maybe they could have had it at an MSRP for what three ten or something then, or three hundred maybe. I mean, and it never even hit its MSRP, so I I don't know. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, that's true. Here's the thing, SNAS Chalmers, your capacities here doesn't solve the whole point of Navi 33, and that's that they don't want to spend the extra $40 on the RAM. <laughs> it's not the capacity. They want it to cost that much to make. I think there's yeah, edge and- cases where this would help, but they're edge cases. And <laughs> Ampere is a weird example that I don't know, uh, that I they just didn't think it out. We're, I think almost across the board, with the exception of the 3090. And the 3060, they don't have enough RAM. (laughs) Yeah. And so you also have to think about this. If they started making these RAM capacities, you save money by buying in bulk. Intel, I know, has bought up massive amounts of like the same capacity of 16 gigabit per second for Alchemist. NVIDIA bought up a ton of the same capacities for... GDR6 and GDR6X, same with AMD. Look at AMD's lineup. It's all 16 gigabit pretty much up until now. And that's because they just bought in bulk a ton of that exact module and used it. You know, so would it be worth it for one of their models when it's necessary to have nine gigabytes below? Maybe. I don't know, but not really. In bulk, I think... We're going to have to see how they do the lineup, but I think what you're going to see is an 8-gigabyte 7600 XT, a 12-gigabyte 7700 XT, maybe a 24-gigabyte 7800 XT, and then hopefully a 32-gigabyte 7900 XT, but that's if NVIDIA is very competitive. Do they underestimate NVIDIA, or do they rightly estimate that they're weaker? I don't know. I think Ampere could have had more RAM, and it didn't because they thought they could get away with it, and then they just, oops. But then everyone bought it anyway, so who cares? And then, like, what is, like, the... 7700 going to be advertised as anyway so they're they're probably going to continue advertising that as like a 1440p card and at that capacity i I mean at that uh resolution i think 12 gigabytes is fine i mean 12 gigabytes is fine at 4k still for pretty much every game but (laughs) but yeah i i i think continuing to have that much ram at those uh levels of performance at those tiers of marketing still makes sense yeah, and again, it's like, again, guys, Navi 33, compare it to Navi 23. Add a little cost, double performance. That's what they're going for. It's not, oh, they're removing RAM from the 70, you know, the 6700 mm-hmm. XT. It's going to be 50% stronger than that in a low-end card. That's the market. 1440p gaming, not 4K. That's their argument. Yeah. Um, all right, let us move on then to some other RDNA cards. Uh, story number five, RDNA 2 refresh, a brief update. Let's iron out what's to be expected from the RDNA 2 refresh as of now. Uh, and it's been, and I, and I, I did this because I've been doing little leaks here and there, tweeting here and there near the end of a recent video. I decided to just outline exactly what to expect out of these refresh cards from AMD. So first of all, massive AIB volume, although not expected to last forever. I do expect this to kind of 
We'll have to see. It's weird what's going on. It seems like NVIDIA's flooding the market first, and then AMD is going to flood the market, and then Intel is, and the new gen starts quarter three. Uh, mostly AIBs. There is no RX 6650 XT reference design, despite what others are reporting. I'm telling you guys, there's not. There's just mock-ups. And then there will be 6750 XT and 6950 XT reference cards, and these will be sold from AMD.com, and all of these models will have MSRPs, which is exciting, I think, because they were considering not having them. Additionally, older models may receive less volume, but I don't know that we would expect AMD to announce any of them going away. Like, there's going to be some yields they don't need to disable that can't be a 6650 XT, but then they make it a 6600 XT, just way, way less will go towards that now that they have a upper-end model. And uh, the launch is still planned for May 10th, or at least mid-May. You, you never know if there's a slight delay. There often is. I don't know, Dan. We know they have MSRPs now. We know some of them will be sold from AMD.com. I mean, any thoughts? Eh, I, not too much. The, ve- the best thing to hear from this is things they're still going to have MSRPs, and luckily that discussion was hopefully just a a short flash in the pan discussion, not actually a trend where the market was going towards. Yeah. The only other thing I can say is I don't think I have any links in the description for this, but I have seen some people saying like these cards are only going to be 2% better. It's like, I, all I can say is I would be surprised. Like all evidence seems to be they're going to increase power consumption by 20%, which doing that alone I think should raise performance by 5% on a lot of these models. And then you would presume they increase clock speeds a bit, so their sustained game clock is just consistently higher. And then you're looking at like 13% more bandwidth. So I'd be very surprised Mm -hmm. if these didn't bring at least 5% more performance over their previous, and I think 10% is possible. Especially the AIB models that could probably launch at like 2.8 gigahertz. And that, that'll be very nice. <laughs> and some of those, might, maybe we'll be able to push them to 3 gigahertz. I don't know. I, I want more 3 gigahertz cards. They artificially limited the 6500 XT to not go higher. I'm sure if I had completely Boo. unlocked everything, I could hit 3 gigahertz on it. But um, <laughs> I don't know. We'll probably see 3 gigahertz next gen. We'll see. All right. Speaking of pushing the limits, this time a power consumption, let us move on to story number six. 600 watt RTX 4090 confirmed. On April 20th, Moore's Law had zeroed in on something many were dancing around the RTX 4090's total board power. In no uncertain terms, Moore's Law Zed is now aware that the RTX 4090 itself, this model, is planned to launch Lovelace with 600 watts of total board power late this summer. And in general, OEMs are fine with it. This likely points to a 400 to 500 watt RTX 4080, a 300 to 350 watt RTX 4070, and a 4090 that blows fuses in the US and is hilariously expensive to run in Europe and many other countries the world over. Furthermore, Moore's Laws had also confirmed that the top professional Lovelace cards are testing the limits of 375 watts an EPS 8 pin power connector can provide with the PCIe slot, and even there are prototypes in NVIDIA with a 16-pin connector unprecedented for professional cards to move over 300 watts or be forced to adopt new power connectors that aren't standard. Yeah. So, and I think this was really important. It was widely reported on. And I just need to point out why I think this was an important leak. There's been a lot of people that will just tweet one day, maybe 800, maybe 600, maybe 500, maybe 400. All we've ever said here at Moore's Law is Dead is, 
more power usage than last gen, definitely below 850 watts. And I feel like over the past few months, we've kept zeroing in closer and closer with our sources. And I'm just telling you guys, it's 600 watts for the reference, and there's AIB models above 700 watts. This isn't up for debate anymore. It's not like, oh, maybe they'll pull back. Right now, the plan is 600 watts for the 4090. What do you think, Dan? I mean, we've, talk <laughs> we've talked about the, this power uses discussion ad, ad nauseum, and I think, obviously, 4090, 600 watts is too much power. A, but I think the more... In necessary discussion to have is something like the 4080s and 3080s power potential power usage i mean not 30 the 4080 and 4070s potential power usage where if you're typically buying cards that like a 4 uh, 3070 or something that's using potentially like 150 more watts than what you're uh used to using and that means some people need to upgrade their power supplies if they want to use this uh my one hope is that the 4090 is like their halo product that they push to an insane degree, like way outside of the uh, curve you would want for uh, ideal uh, power performance. And hopefully the 4080 and 4070s power usage is somewhat more reined in, but because maybe you have an exam could have a world still where like the 4070 only uses, I don't know, like 280 Watts. Uh, but I think that's probably optimistic. <laughs> Unless they literally gained another 10%, if I worked at NVIDIA, I would, I'm pretty sure I would uh, advocate for stopping at 375 watts for the 30, 4080 and stopping at 300 watts for the 4070. Because in my opinion, any power supply running a 3070 at like 200 to 230 watts, depending on if it's AIB or not right now, you can survive throwing a couple a 70 70 watts on there come on you can yeah and if you have a you're supporting a 320 watt 3080 i'm sure you could support a 375 watt 4080 the same power usage as vega liquid y you can do it but i don't know I, I think um you know me and you and our friends have been talking about this i think there is no reason right the 3090 use 10 percent more energy than the 3080 <laughs> there's no reason do not expect the 4080 to use 500 watts if one uses 600 yeah. there's just no reason not to expect it it's 20 percent more power 3090 only used 10 percent more power than the 3080 oh that's true and it's disappointing and i th i i think it's indicative of a bad trend if my if my optimistic hope doesn't at least come somewhat true and I guess them the most you can say is hopefully it's close to the bottom of that range that you're saying where like the 4080 only uses 400 watts because if you have a 3080 right now you're if it has 400 watts I would guess you're still probably not screwed. I think most DIY PC builders throw way more wattage at their power supply. That, I mean uh, way over by the power supply they truly need where a lot of people get like 800 to 1000 watts just because why not. <laughs> Well, and you know, one thing that we've been covering here at Moore's Law is dead for months is that there is a flood of p power supplies, high quality ones in the market now for prices. I mean, remember trying to get like a even gold 80 plus power supply just five years ago, Dan was like $200 or more. And now they're like a hundred or less, I think half the time, especially used ones. And that's because 
There are warehouses of power supplies that EVGA and other AIBs that make both power supplies and graphics cards were forcing distributors to buy two or three power supplies with every graphics card to get priority shipping for their cards over the years. <laughs> Dan's laughing. Are you That's looking hilarious. it up? No, I'm just thinking like <laughs> of... Well, what, what, you just need to throw those out at some point. There, there, I was told some of my sources who are distributors said eventually they started like telling EVGA, we'll pay you for the power supplies. Don't ship them. <laughs> yeah. And the EVGA nice. is like, no, we want you to take them. We don't want to hold them. <laughs> we have. Listen, it, they're going to be burning a hole in so, someone's wallet in some warehouse. <laughs> we would rather it be you. And I've heard that there are some of these few – actually, I wonder – I've never actually checked this. Let me go to eBay right now. Yeah, this is just a dude. There are people just selling some of these power supplies on EB, EB, EBJ ones, for example, in bulk. These are like 1,000-watt, 80-plus gold. And then – see. I wonder what these are going for, though, on Amazon just to fact-check this, right? I'd laugh. Well, Amazon actually usually runs into the same issues where they're cutting prices like crazy as well. Yeah, this is supposed to be a $200 power supply that you can now get for like 130 So I know there's a lot of people with warehouses that were speculating on GPU prices that are just like taking 40% off MSRP and selling them sunk cost, getting rid of them every <laughs> time they sold a GPU, even during the mining boom and the shortages. So I, I maybe... I guess what I'm saying is maybe NVIDIA looked at this and they're just like, hey, everyone's going to have good power supplies. But then the war in the invade, the accelerated, should I say, is already invasion since 2014 of Ukraine happened. And then we have more shortages of and energy costs go up. And I'm sorry, like it's it's going to cost a lot in Europe and Australia to power these graphics cards. And in the U.S., I'm telling you, if you buy a 4090, a lot of your rooms are going to trip the breaker. I'm telling you as a miner, yes. you would be surprised. Now, in fact, my cheaper house than my parents back when I lived in Peoria had less electrical issues than our parents' house, which cost way more. And that's because you just never know if your builder, it's actually usually has to do with when the house was built, cheaped out on the electrical wiring and the breakers. And there will be people in the U.S. where it trips the breaker in Europe. It's going to cost you like 20 bucks a day. It's going to be really expensive to run this card. <laughs> Yeah, ho hopefully you're not doing something and a vacuum is connected to the same fuse as your 4090 because that might blow it. But yeah, I, I guess I don't know what else to say about this. It's just it now that doubt is so important, even if we were 90 percent sure this is around what we were going to get. It's like, yeah, but I feel like they'll stop at 500. I feel like they'll stop at 450. And just knowing it officially, this finality to knowing for sure now we all have to get ready for reviews of 600 watt cards it's just i don't know it, it does feel different now that i'm 100 percent sure yeah today's video is brought to you by cdkeyoffer.com as i put together a new benchmarking station for 2022 i know that whether it's running windows 10 or windows 11 i'll be getting that key from cdkeyoffer.com and that's because it's a reliable long-term sponsor of moore's law is dead that gets you reasonable 
prices on legitimate keys for these types of products. But it's really not all that they offer. They also can give you keys for Microsoft Office, uh, keys for PlayStation codes, and even some of the latest PC releases like Elden Ring, a game that I enjoy quite a bit. Whatever you need, CD Key Offer probably has you covered. And they're always running sales, but make sure you use the best code possible. And that's the ones provided for the Moore's Law is Dead fans. Moore's Law is Dead fans get the biggest discount. And if you go to the link on screen or in the description, you can use code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off Microsoft products and Dyeshring to get 3% off everything else on the website. Using these codes really does help Moore's Law is Dead and it helps you play reasonable prices for games that you want in keys that frankly you just have to use half of the time. So again, use the link in the description, use Broken Silicon, use Dyeshrink depending on the products you're getting and pay reasonable prices for keys today at cdkeyoffer.com. Well, Crass writes in, he says, Hi, Tom and Dan. In Broken Silicon 148, there was a segment with you two memeing about how insane power draws were going to be for NVIDIA next gen. And I got to thinking, maybe as a gamer community, we brought this on ourselves accidentally via, and he puts this in quotes, progress? I look back to the Gamers Nexus case rant four to five years ago, where he absolutely ridiculed cases for being essentially entirely tempered glass boxes with our RGB and no airflow whatsoever. It's a pretty legendary one where... I was so happy when he made that video. I was like, yeah, can someone point out how these cases suck and they're just tempered glass hot boxes? But that's what he did. And following that, though, PC review sites have actually have followed suit and stomped on cases with bad thermals. And it took a couple of years, but since 2020, it seems, nearly every manufacturer has designs available with mesh on the front and mesh on the top. And the trend on mesh now is so pervasive that I just moved my entire system into an ITX case that has mesh on four-sixths of the sides and happily cools a 5900X and a 6900XT in a system that is around the size of a PS5. Maybe due to the change in mainstream cases, these people next-gen are going to bring home 450-watt cards and everything will be fine if they have one of those GN-approved airflow cases. Yeah, well, I think so. And, you know, it's funny. I remember four years ago, I remember I had that, smaller than ps5 case remember that mm -hmm. had a it just oh yeah it just barely fit a fury with a modded bios at 350 watts like remember i had like to bend the metal a little bit to put it in and bend it back and it would get hot but i took the side panel and just drilled a pattern of holes on the side <laughs> of it and then just pulled in those three fans that it just pulled the air directly in and directly out the mm -hmm. other side no issues whatsoever i don't know why these companies have these like flat case sides without holes directly next to where you would obviously want to pull in air. I, I don't know. But um, now that's standard. But am I wrong, Dan? When we talk about power usage as an issue, we're never talking about the case getting hot. That's an unknown. That's an unknown unknown. I don't know when it will be an issue. I'm sure it will be for some people. Uh, yeah, I'm sure a case with bad thermals overheating could potentially be an issue with like the 4090. But I don't think we've ever really talked directly about case thermals within this conversation. No, because that, that, that's not our focus. And again, just to add to it, though, Krast, I will say, with my Cerberus case, uh, or Cerberus case, I think, I forgot which one it was, but um, you guys have seen the case. It's on the header of the uh, Patreon. Uh, the top 120 millimeter fan was making a weird noise, so I just unplugged it for a while. <laughs> that, you know, And uh, I have to say, my CPU was a little less stable. <laughs> and that yep. fan was the fan pulling heat directly off of one of the main heat spreaders on the motherboard. So I can tell you, it's going to matter how you design your cases and lay out everything for this, but it's hard for us to focus on that. And we don't know how it will affect it. But when we talk about the 
power consumption and the heat. We're just talking about in your room. Yeah. I don't think people understand if you have, you know, if you're used to 300-watt cards, what double that's going to feel like because it's like an exponentially worse feeling because either your room pulls out the air easily or it doesn't. If you have a 100-watt card in your case, the room gets ice cold. You get to 150, it gets more than a little warmer because it's more and more an issue of overwhelming the heat capacity of your room. So going from 300 to 600 watts isn't going to get a little warmer. It's going to get a lot warmer, and that is our concern. Yeah. So I don't know. And again, you know, I think even some 4080 owners are going to trip breakers. I do. I, I just do. I've been ta- I've talked to so many people about this, like looking at houses, like if you actually test it, 100-watt monitor, the lights are turned on. Oftentimes, the room you're in actually shares its circuit with the hallway. Mm-hmm. Someone plugs in a vacuum, turns on the lights, that's an issue. I, I don't know. I think it's going to be a big problem. But continuing the Lovelace discussion, let us move on to story number seven. Lovelace is on for an animator and might lack PCIe 4.0. On April 24th, the day of this recording, Copite 7 Kimmy and Moore's Law is Dead tweeted more Lovelace info. Copite tweeted first, and I followed up with it, that PCIe Gen 4 support is actually likely for Lovelace. And I do need to point this out, guys. I mentioned PCIe 5.0 for RDNA 3. I didn't mention it for Lovelace anywhere in that leak. And that's because I had no information on it being 5.0. Additionally, I then followed up with my sources, asking a question, maybe because 4 was in my head. I was like, oh, let me ask this. Is Lovelace for an animator? And one of my best sources, who's never been wrong, says... It's not confirmed on paper, but yes. NVIDIA behind the scenes is briefing people on 4 nanometer Lovelace. So both of these factors, in my opinion, point to one thing. NVIDIA did not plan to launch a 600-watt card against RDNA 3 until they thought they had to. Further talks with our sources at Moore's Law said reaffirmed what was leaked past year. Lovelace was intended to be 60 to 80% better than Ampere. That is a Maxwell to Pascal-like increase. Not an RDNA 1 to RDNA 2-like increase. And so it's conceivable that just like going from, what is it, uh, would it be, yeah, Maxwell to Pascal, they didn't think they needed more PCIe. And so they just planned to have like a 70% better card, same PCIe, uses 350 watts. And now they're pushing it way past its target performance using double the energy because they have to. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting. RDNA 3 is planned for PCIe 5.0 support since early 2021, based on what I'm told. Telling you what AMD thinks about its performance. Additionally, another interesting tip that I want to throw out there. One of my sources today actually told me that Turing had support for PCIe 4.0 across the entire lineup. Oh, okay. Which, for those who doubt this, look it up. There's a TU-117 professional card with 4.0 support, but for some reason... They seem to have just disabled it in the upper cards, and I don't know why. I, I don't really know what to too much to say about this, I don't think. I mean, I guess it's good it's on 4 nanometer. Four, four na- 600 watts 4 nanometer is insane. <laughs> that, yeah. And, and it's just, and, and a lot of the immediate questions people ask me in the Moore's Law is Dead Discord when I tweeted this was, you know, about how much energy it's using on 4 nanometer. And all I can say is... You know, Daniel Nenny told me that in the final year of silicon finalization, there are final tweaks you do where you decide what is the optimum voltage curve going to be and a little other things you can do. And I assume at the last minute they tried to move that voltage curve, but I don't know. What I do know is that if they targeted this correctly, 
I think there's a world where NVIDIA just takes the L, not for Lovelace, but for losing to RDNA 3, and they just make the top card use like 300 watts, and it crushes RDNA 3 in efficiency. But then they lose in performance by 20-30%. But they have elected to not do that, clearly. Well, if it were that big of a loss in performance, I guess I could understand why they wouldn't do that. But, you know, no matter what, they need to maintain the performance crown, and hopefully 600 watts does that. (laughs) I mean, I don't think it's going to, so (laughs) I think it's going to tie. And I think that's... Tie? Tie. Yeah. Unless it's someone else in their own presentation who says TI. I... On the note of the performance crown, though, I just need to throw this in there now because this always happens. All of a sudden, the comments are flooded by people. Oh, now it's four nanometer. It wins. No. The performance estimates are separate from the specs, right? You guys got to understand the initial target was 60 to 80% over ampere. Now they're overclocking it to roughly double. Finding out this is four nanometer doesn't change anything, guys. Eight nanometer to four nanometer. Yeah. Remember, Um, 7 nanometer to 5 nanometer was a notably smaller improvement than 16 to 7, right? It was. Mm -hmm. Go look it up. The increase in speed, the increase in density. 16 to 7 was a big deal, especially when it comes to the frequency thing. So going from 8 to 4 nanometer is pretty comparable to going from 28 to 16 nanometer. It's pretty Mm -hmm. comparable. It's a huge jump, but when they went from... 28 nanometer Maxwell to 16 nanometer Pascal. They increased performance by like 70% at most. That's what they were kind of targeting to do. And that last 30% they're getting, that's, that's, they're getting there from the overclocking, from the four nanometer, from maybe using the GDR7. We'll see what happens. I'm hearing a lot of things about how fast they're going to push the memory as well. So I, I don't know. Just remember that this is an interesting thing to confirm, but this doesn't mean that now I think it's, you know, even higher performance than expected. Those are two separate things. The people who simulate performance at these companies are often not the people that know the specs because why would NVIDIA tell them everything? Then one person could leak everything, you know, about the card, and they hate that. Yeah. Like, I mean, literally at AMD right now, when it comes to RDNA 3 and MI300, there are people that only know specific blocks in the design of RDNA 3, (laughs) and they can't even tell me anything else. Um, But yeah, let's move on then. Oh, I hope I'm... I don't know how to say this guy's name. Is oh Ryan? Probably. I, I forgot. I, I actually used that... to know what that uh, AE combination thing is, but I think it's Orion. Uh, he says, "Hi Tom and Dam. While I'm not asking this from the perspective of financial advice, I would like to know your unique insights into the underlying disparity between the valuations of Team Red, Green, and Blue. For instance, NVIDIA has a current valuation of over $500 billion as of this writing. Could you shed some light as to the possible reasons why you believe NVIDIA has that many has attributed that much valuation over AMD and Intel? Is NVIDIA, for example, so far ahead in certain aspects, AI, that AMD and Intel could not possibly hope to compete in that field? By comparison, AMD services both the CPU and GPU markets, and I guess has the potential to sell to a much larger total market of people than just NVIDIA focuses predominantly on the GPU space. Intel is now dipping their toes into the GPU market as well, where both of these companies, AMD and Intel, are at the $150 to $200 billion area each, less than NVIDIA combined, despite being able to surface both markets. Could you briefly speak to what you think are the one or two biggest strengths each company has against the other? Or is there essentially nothing but the ability to execute that separates these companies? Well, that's a big thing. NVIDIA is really good at executing. 
I mean, that's true. Top of the line. Everyone I talk to, Daniel and any, they're like, they, no one executes like NVIDIA when they need to. Maxwell, in under a year, they ported, I believe, their 20 nanometer to 28 nanometer and launched before the Fury. Wow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> certainly that's true. But it's hard for me to not say hype is the reason. Well, my thought reading this question, it's because the stock market is a speculative market where the market cap of a company doesn't actually represent the total value of the company. You know, all the market cap tells you is this is what the market thinks it's worth. And maybe that's a good estimation of what a company is worth. But a lot of the time, it's not. A lot of the time, there are bubbles because it's a speculative market. And no economist is great at telling you when a bubble is going to pop. No. Consistently. No, usually not. There's a couple, and they make a lot of money (laughs) shorting at the right time. And they have, like in 2008, with some of those people in the big short. But I don't know. You see NVIDIA marketing these crazy things. Like, we're going to power the, not Metaverse. I forgot what theirs is called, the something-verse. They have their own simulation thing they're doing. And look, you know, if they succeed, people made fun of Tesla. Like, there's no way you're going to become a successful car company and solar company and burrowing company and battery company. But they seem to kind of be doing it. And it's just like, do you think NVIDIA is going to manage to become the king of AI, the king of the metaverse, the king of the, you know, Ready Player One universe? If you do, that's why they're valued more than AMD and Intel. But if you're wrong, you're paying twice as much for a company with half the capabilities of AMD and Intel. (laughs) And that's where that comes from. Outside of that, again, like, you you know, this isn't financial advice. And I've been wrong about embedding it on or for against NVIDIA before. I'm getting better at it in my trading, but most of the time I've been wrong. So it's hard for me to bet for or against NVIDIA because I often think they're overvalued and I'm often wrong. Or yeah. I often wouldn't make money on that assumption, I should say. Yes. All right. Let us move on then to the wrap-up. These are the final few stories that didn't, we thought, deserve their own story, but are, are worth mentioning, kind of honorable mentions. Um, let's see. So we got the 16-core Alder Lake HX seems to have been named as the i9-12950HX. So this is the 16-core laptop processor that uses like 55 or above watts. And it's basically just trying to compact the footprint of the desktop Alder Lake die. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Honorable mention, it now has a name, uh, 12950HX. Also, 40 gigabyte Xbox Series X dev kit, thus suggesting, again, what we've been saying, no, 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 no. If they wanted to add more RAM to the Series X, it wouldn't be 22 gigabytes. They would double the capacity of the system segment. What they would probably do is just go to 20 gigabytes and make it unified memory like the PS5 because the software, it's an artificial segmentation of memory that cuts into performance due to software that they decided to do for some reason. Um, And this directly proves it. It's interesting, though. That's a crazy amount of extra RAM for a dev kit. It's not 32 gigabytes. It's 40. Yeah, that's (laughs) a lot of freaking RAM. Mm -hmm. I don't know why it has so much beyond i guess what you're suggesting that maybe this will could function as a dev kit for future products as well i'm just saying guys if they take the series x which is at a low clock speed for rdna2 and they clocked it at like they could take the same seven nanometer die 
or shrink it to 6 nanometer, just clock it 10% faster, but then they gave it 20 gigabytes of unified memory so that it's a real whatever. And, and I mean, look, they use 14 gigabit per second memory. They gave it 18, 35% bandwidth boost, and now it's unified because from what I've heard, it's really actually quite a bit weaker than the bandwidth would suggest. Just overnight, they just have an SKU that wins in performance over the PS5. It's just, mm-hmm. again, I, it's just so weird. They went with, I don't know. I guess, you know, RAM shortages, maybe it was worth it to lose 30% performance or something. I don't know. But um, also, BCLK overclocking does make the 5800X 3D perform 7% better. That would probably make it firmly the best gaming processor. Yeah, it's just overclocking is... Sometimes unreliable, although seven percent isn't that much. You, I you would can hope usually I would get do that with BCLK. I, it's rare I can't get at least five percent if I really push it. But I guess yeah. that is worth pointing out if we're splitting hairs here. I don't think you're overclocking the twelve nine hundred KS like at all. So if you overclock this by even five percent on the BCLK, you're yeah. I mean, there you go. Then it's the best gaming processor if that's all you care about. Yeah, and finally. TSMC 2 nanometer, Apple and Intel at the forefront supposedly of buying this, and uh, yeah, I mean, coming at late 2025. I just think it's interesting to think again. We got 7 nanometer last year. This year we're getting 5 and 4 nanometer with some probably 3D stacking, at least multi-die GPUs from AMD. And then the following year, we're probably going to have a lot of 4 nanometer, and then... That's 2023, and then 3 nanometer, end of 2023 and 2024, and then 2 nanometer... 2025, yeah. it's <laughs> things are, even though God knows TSMC is going to charge an arm and a leg for this, it's still exciting. Just keep in mind, though, these nodes are getting increasingly smaller and in how much better they are than their previous node. Like, yeah, I mean, I, is this an actual, is this like a modification of like the four nanometer process or is it a, an actual noding shrinkage? Because They've been on tech, TSMC uh, five nanometer is still a modification of the seven nanometer process, isn't it? Well, let me see here. Yeah, okay, it is in the same family of three nanometer, I believe. Okay, all right. So, good point. Good point. All right, let us move on then now to the final reader mails. Lorez Gamer writes in and he says, "Hi, Tom. Hello, Lorez Gamer." I may be jumping the gun a little bit here, but I'm wondering if there are any updates you can share about AMD's upcoming chipset architecture for the AM5 socket. We all seem to be expecting DDR5 and PCIe 5.0, but the shift away from SATA storage, I'm wondering if they'll squeeze in some more PCIe lanes or other I.O. and memory enhancements. If AMD wants AM5 to absorb the HDT market from Threadripper, I.O. seems to be like a big gap they need to fill they, unless they want they don't care if they address this market very well. Um, God, it's been so long since I looked at the IO of Zen 4, guys. <laughs> I mean, actually, let me humor you here. I wonder if I can find... I'm literally just opening something <laughs> from like a year ago. <laughs> let me see. What I have here for the IO, and this is an outdated version of X670. Since then, I'm almost 100% sure they've adjusted some things. But was it 28 lanes of PCIe 4.0? So yeah, and, and with room for with some references to 5.0 for a higher end version of the chipset. Yeah, so expect like the ability to have like an additional NVMe driver too over um, X570. Expect more USB ports at the 3.2. 
specification, so less 2.0, 3.0, like they're just, you know, you have like eight USBs that are all the highest end spec pretty much. I don't know about 4.0 though. And yeah, so they're, they're adding like four to eight PCIe lanes basically. So yes, there will be more IO, but it's not like they're doubling it from what I can tell. I would not surprise me if that changes. And there's always been a hint they may consider some sort of, I've even seen rumors that I can't confirm of like, them maybe using what I thought was the X670 as the as B650 and then doubling it for the X690 yeah, yeah. or something so that you get to, well, not quite Threadripper IO, but good enough. Close to. <laughs> yeah, over like 32 <laughs> lanes or more of PCIe. I think at that point, most people should be happy. So I don't know. I, what I would say, Lorez Gamer, is go look up what Xcubal Fix has been saying for the past year because I... That guy's almost all the same information I often do on that chipset stuff. I know he's legit. And expect more I.O., but do not expect it to become Threadripper. But, yeah, you'll probably be able to support four, five, six NVMe drives instead of three. Woo. In, in case you need to have that many <laughs> Right. Which, NVMe you drives. know, I have an X570 board with 32 gigabytes of 37, 33 megahertz RAM, a 3950X. I have two NVMe drives a sound card, a graphics card, and one, two, three, four SATA drives. So, you know, I've, <laughs> you know, I've like six SSDs in my compact case here with a sound card in it too. And if they add 50% more IO overall, which kind of sounds like it's gonna be like 20 to 50%, I feel like that's just enough for most people, even some power users. Cause I'm surprised I actually don't really need more than what I have. Um, Little Germany writes in, and he says, with VR looking like the most likely next big thing in gaming, which aspect of headset hardware do you think needs to improve fastest to drive adoption? Do we need better GPUs, better optics, better batteries, or just cheaper prices? Um, I think the optics are approaching good enough, and I, I, I honestly think everything else there. you know, And the GPUs, yeah. I think we're kind of getting there, too. Uh. I really think it's the batteries and prices. More devices need to be wireless and not just rely on, you know, the power of whatever onboard computer you can put on one like the uh, Quest. What is it? The Quest Go has. That's yeah. that $300 one that it, it, it's just the gaming device itself. Yeah. I mean, and I've been talking, I may, I might have a actually very interesting <laughs> person with a lot of experience designing for VR, one of the major companies. Um, on soon hopefully and i might be able to get access to a uh, or be sent a quest 2 so that'd be cool to test out but you know i was looking at the quest 2 we'll see how easy it is because again i'm a little worried because it's made by facebook that it's going to be annoying to download the right software but most people say it's not that hard you know if i want to play half-life alex i'm probably not going to do it in my office which as you guys can tell by looking at it when you see my videos not great for vr <laughs> but <laughs> no, you know in my living not. room right next to it if i just walk in it's connected to the kitchen connected to like a kind of pseudo mudroom area it's very conceivable that my 2060 laptop which from what i can see easily can run probably the quest 2 at medium settings with half-life alex I'd probably just connect this wireless Quest 2 to my laptop and just walk into the kitchen and stand there. Yeah. <laughs> That's so much easier than plugging in a bunch of wires, you know, screwing around with my high-end desktop. And I do think this portability thing is honestly the biggest thing. We, If you get to about 4K resolution, which the PSVR 2 does, Quest Wireless 2 is a little below 4K, 
if you get above 90 hertz or something, you, you get the tracking down so you don't need to set up a bunch of lighthouses. You have decent controllers. At that point, can you just make it wireless and make it 300 bucks yeah. or less? And then you just need a killer app, which is probably something I might talk about with an upcoming guest. Because that, that's all it needs, you know, for mainstream adoption. I really think that's it. And there's even talk of, like, what happens when we get to 3 nanometer or even 4 nanometer. Could we put something as strong as a 2070 in the headset itself and clock it a little lower? And then no need for wires or anything whatsoever. It's just zero latency next to your head. That's when we really get there. But I still think we're a few years away from being able to do that. But if that happens where it's its own device for gaming, like what if there was a VR device that has a built-in, you know, I don't know, 5060 clocked lower and you can plug an HDMI into it and also use it as a desktop. Like that's an interesting product. Yeah, that would be pretty good. You know? Yeah. And I think something like that, if they can just nail the price, but that'd be expensive. It's going to happen, but it needs to be wireless. It, 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 I think we'll see how what we think of v, PSVR two. We'll see. Maybe one cable is if it's because I will say if they if I can just get a crazy long and well built USB C for the PSVR two, I'm just going to do that. In that walk, big of a pain. I might just walk into <laughs> the other room with a big cable. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll see because I don't want to have to move my coffee table out of the way. Just let me walk into my kitchen next to the living room. You know. <laughs> I, I really think that's it. I don't want to have to screw with anything. When I want to relax, I want to relax. Just let me turn it on and use it. That, that's really yeah. what it... And we're, we're getting there, but we're just not quite there yet. I, I don't... I think the PSVR 2 is going to set the standard for what is required for resolution. And frame rate. Sony's done a lot of research, like what exact resolution do we need? What frame rate do we need? And I think they're right at that cusp where as long as it's the right price, it could drive more adoption as well. So, all right. Robos writes in, he says, what will drive hardware performance once we hit the physical and quantum tunneling limits of silicon lithography? Seems multi-chip designs are on the way, but are there other future technologies that improve hardware performance once we can't make things smaller? Yeah, I think it's multi-chiplet design. I think we're only scratching, and I mean barely scratching, like scratching the screen protector of, on a phone and barely leaving a mark on it of what you can get out of performance with RDNA 3 3D stacking, if, you know, or very least I know my 300s are stacked. When you have architectures built from the ground up, not just iterative over previous generations, from the ground, like not RDNA, but like, you know, I don't like who knows what buzzword, not DNA, whatever they'll use for the next AMD family in five years. When you build an architecture from the ground up, new architecture for 3D stacking, TSMC's done presentations on this, and I believe them. I think you can double IPC if the architecture was built fundamentally to know it can communicate mm -hmm. with things up, down, and all around it. I think there's a lot of room for performance there. Yeah, that that, and like you said, MCM, because, yeah, that, <laughs> I'm not sure how close we actually are to approaching that as being an actual issue, because once again, the nodes are marketing terms for the most part. Um so it's not like what what's uh, Intel's next or is 10A their next thing or are they going to be going to four? I don't remember. I don't remember if it was twenty or or twenty. Was it was it twenty angstrom? Is what they called it. I think technically, if I'm remembering correctly, by ten angstroms, ten angstroms, I believe is where I've read quantum tunneling becomes an issue, and Intel is saying they're getting there in what like three or four years, something like that. Like, I don't think they're actually at that physical 
that physical We're just pen saying uh, what they call angstrom it. limit for the actual notes. I think TSMC and Samsung are saying Goffit or however you pronounce like G-A-A-F something, you know, I think. So they're all going to weird naming. Just get ready in 2026 for everything to have. Yeah, three G-A-E. These weird names all over the place where it's just like, what? what is it? What is it? You know, because I, I mean... The nanometer marketing term isn't going to—it already doesn't mean anything. It's going to mean truly nothing very soon. But it doesn't mean yes. we can't add improvements, right? That's kind of what you're saying. Well, yeah, and there is going to be a certain point where we you would think we do approach that actual barrier. And at that point, while well, we can't make a smaller note. <laughs> and I think I think that's going to happen. You know, I spoke to Daniel Nenny about this agnosium. Probably around 2028. And by then, you know, so I would say expect in a couple of years, like 2024, to hear much more about— after silicon research going on with combination of you know different types of materials and um you know like quantum stuff some people insist can become real we'll see <laughs> i almost think quantum is science fiction but you know it's just what jim keller thinks so <laughs> so i'll just based on what he's saying but um yeah, I, I, we'll see. You know, they're going to be trying new things, but I don't doubt that, like, even into 2028, we will be getting new nodes that are maybe not double, maybe not 50%, but 10 to 20% better every year. And then when you combine that with new types of cache, new types of memory, and 3D stacking, we'll still see products. I, I think this, to answer this person's question, I think the technological mega cycle that Lisa Sue called what's going on right now isn't going to stop for five years. And at the end of those five years, you know, maybe it'll be time to make things cheaper anyways. And that's when we'll start worrying about what we do next. But because right now mm -hmm. they know they can get a lot more performance with silicon for the foreseeable future. You know, we'll see. Maybe we'll move off of silicon eventually or maybe at a certain point. Like this is how much computing power you can get in a given area without expanding in other dimensions. Mm-hmm. All right, Dan, that's all the reader mails. That's all the stories. Rather standard episode this week. Is there anything else you wanted to discuss, Dan? Any wisdom you wanted to impart on these people besides pointing out a, was it a sunfish? Mm, no, I don't think so. Just look up a sunfish if you want to. Just Google it. Carbon yeah. cry. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Remember, uh, we can't do this without the support of our patrons. They got this early in ad-free. They got a new die shrink. They'll be able to vote on future die shrinks. And the last one was about the Xbox One. We've got more. I've got I'm already putting together the next die shrink and other ones after that. Um, and so, you know, support us if you have the extra money. Otherwise, of course, subscribe to the Moore's Laws Dead YouTube channel. Ring the bell button. Subscribe to Broken Silicon on a podcast app. Subscribe to us on five podcast apps. Rate us on all of them five stars. And tell all of your friends to subscribe to us five times so our download <laughs> numbers get up and we get to the top of the technology charts again. Because it was really cool near the end of 2020 when we got like the top 10 technology podcasts in the U.S. And that was crazy. <laughs> if we did yeah. that again, that brings in so many new people um, that aren't just aware of us because of YouTube. But otherwise, yeah. thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, 
Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Full, A.V., Anthony Gareffa, Greg Pataki, Mohamed Alkwari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, BBC 6800XC, Big Sexy, Jan Rauner, Daniel Hyde, Ivan K., Brian Regelman, Joaquin Hagen, Sam Miller, Deke, Thomas Rupp, The Mechanical Philosopher, Terrence Herod, SNES Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Greg T. Wanchuk, Andrew S., Dane Galinowski, Daniel D., MJB1, Eric Jackson, Justice Brennan, Sammy Good, Valcom Malev, The Boss, Haas, I Love You, Lynn and Jim, Spantum G. Spamptum, Jonathan, Jeremy So, General Drips, Blake, Franco, Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Azuris, Gregory S. Acker, Dominique Cock, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, My Name Is Nobody, Caillou Markelly, Hardforum.com, Original Ross, Licky, Stefan, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, who also survived Rush Hour 2, Christopher A. Butler, Jeremy Scallon, Sarcastro, Stefan Hart, Jason B., Meat and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jeskowiak, Travis Gooding, Holden Mobley, Nanny and Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Mad, Suzu Taylor, T- Stefan Coates, Michael McGee, Benjamin Oshley, Sam Malas, Greg, Ah Trini, Patrick Groh, Amiable Chief, Brett Summersdale, Russell, Arcane 311, Tommy, Kunden, Brucha, Mark Mitchell, John Wissink, Delmaine Peterson, James Anderson, A. Truey, Mark Raidmaker, Falling from Sky, 3DS Boy, 08, How Buma, Narithio, Matthew, Landavazo, Stefan, Coladic, Henry Zhang, Judson, NF7GOS, The Grid, Michelle Pell, D31337, Antrix, Sylvanas, Noah Noquela, Exapuma, Chrysantine, Powell, Zegartowski, Zavebeat03, DSIS, Thomas A. Teeth, John DeBunt, DNA Tech, 50C Desert, Axel Cisneros, Royce Mayer, Charles Russell, Reginald Araya, Moore F1 US, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Sandy Garrido Saunderson, David Eason, Fire Falcon on YouTube, Andre A. Jacques, Gaiman Since Reagan, Jeff Sadler, Eric Asborn, Loophole 35, Windstar Joker, James One Raidmaker, Corey Leonard, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>